Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. On November 24th of last year, a jury found Travis McMichael guilty of one count of malice murder, four counts of felony murder, and four underlying felony counts. They found his father, Greg McMichael, not guilty of the malice murder count, but guilty of all other counts. That same jury found William Roddy Bryan not guilty of malice murder and not guilty of one count of felony murder and the underlying felony related to the aggravated assault with a firearm charge. But the panel found Bryan guilty of three felony murder counts as well as three underlying felonies related to aggravated assault with a vehicle, false imprisonment, and attempted false imprisonment. On January 7th of this year, Judge Timothy Walmsley heard the sentencing recommendation from Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski, victims' impact statements from members of Ahmaud Arbery's family, and arguments from lawyers for each of the now-convicted men. Judge Walmsley then rendered the sentences along with a statement offering context for his decision. In this episode, we begin an examination of that hearing with a look at the sentences recommended by the prosecution, the victim's impact statements, and Prosecutor Dundekowski's argument in support of her recommendation. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The mandatory sentences in Georgia for malice murder and for felony murder are among the most severe in the United States. A judge may either sentence the convicted individual to life in prison without the possibility of parole or life in prison with the possibility of parole after 30 years. Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski requests that Judge Walmsley render the same sentence to both Travis and Greg McMichael. The state is seeking, therefore, a life without the possibility of parole sentence. Dunikowski acknowledges that the judge has a limited choice in his sentencing of Greg McMichael and repeats her recommendation. So the minimum Greg McMichael is looking at is life with the possibility of parole and 35 years. The state is going to be asking for life without the possibility of parole. With respect to William Bryan, Dunikowski has a different recommendation. With regard to Mr. Bryan, Mr. Bryan was found not guilty of counts one and two. He was, however, found guilty of the three felony murder counts, count three, four, and five, based on aggravated assault with a pickup truck, false imprisonment, and criminal attempt at false imprisonment. The minimum Mr. Bryan is looking at is a life with the possibility of parole sentence, plus an additional 15 years, which once again can be run concurrent, it can be run consecutive, it could be probated and or suspended. In this particular case, the state is going to make a recommendation for Mr. Bryan of life with the possibility of parole, and that is going to be our recommendation for Mr. Bryan. 
Your Honor, at this time, the state will go ahead and present its uh, victim impact evidence for the court's consideration, and then once that's through, we will make our argument. Thank you. <laughs> We're going to present Mr. Marcus Arbery. Before Ahmad Arbery's father, Marcus, steps up to the lectern, Judge Walmsley offers the speaker some guidance regarding the protocol of these victims' impact statements. I do want to make a point before we get into the victim impact statements and not to imply that this would go any other way, uh, but I do want to make sure that those that are addressing the court address the court uh, as opposed to anybody else in the gallery. So uh, let's go ahead and proceed. Marcus Arbery then steps forward and speaks to the court. Good morning. Good morning. How y'all doing? time me and my family. You know something that I just doesn't sit right with me at this time. The man who killed my son has sat in this courtroom every single day next to his father. I'll never get that chance to sit next to my son ever again. Not at a dinner table, not at a holiday, and not at a wedding. I pray that no one in this courtroom ever has to do what we had did that buried their child. There is no word for that because no word knows that much pain. Not only did they lynch my son, in broad daylight, but they killed him while he was doing what he loved than anything, running. That's when he felt most alive, most free, and they took all that from him. When I close my eyes, I see his execution in my mind over and over. I'll see that for the rest of my life. When I became a father, my life became bigger than me. It became about my family, about protecting him, protecting my boy. I know in my head that there's nothing I could have done that day to have saved my son, to have protected him from that evil and hate. But my heart is broken and always will be broken because on my worst day or our lives, wasn't there. If I could, I have trade places with a mark in a heartbeat. But I can't. So I'm standing here today to do what he can. And that is to fight for him. Fight for his memories, his legacy and to tell you who he was, because that's the one thing you didn't hear in this courtroom, and more than anything else, you should know who my boy was. We love our son, and we will never have him with us to celebrate anything. Thanksgiving, Christmas, or his birthday, his kids should spend the rest of their lives thinking about what they did and what they took from us. 
And they should do it from behind bars. Because me and my family, we got to live with his death the rest of our life. We'll never see a martyr again. So I feel they should stay behind them bars the rest of their life. Because they didn't give him a chance. Thank the court. Thank the jury. I give all glory to God. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Arbery. The next speaker is Ahmaud Arbery's sister, Jasmine. Good morning. My name is Jasmine Arbery. Ahmad is my brother, and I would like to tell you a little about him. Ahmad had dark skin that glistened in the sunlight like gold. He had thick, coily hair, and he would often like to twist it. Ahmad had a broad nose, and the color of his eyes was filled with melanin. He was tall with an athletic build. <laughs> he enjoyed running and had an appreciation for being outdoors. <laughs> these are the qualities that made these men assume that Ahmad was a dangerous criminal and chased him with guns drawn. <laughs> to me, those qualities reflected a young man full of life and energy who looked like me and the people I love. Ahmad was funny. He told jokes to lighten the mood because he was a positive thinker. Ahmad had a big personality and never missed the opportunity to let it shine. Ahmad had a future that was taken from him in an instance of violence. He was robbed of his life pleasures, big and small. He would never be able to start a family or even be a part of my daughter's life. The loss of a mind has devastated me and my family. So I'm asking that the man that killed him be given the maximum sentence available to the court. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. The final speaker from Mr. Arbery's family is Ahmad's mother, Wanda Cooper Jones. Good morning. I want to first speak directly to my son, if I please. This verdict doesn't bring you back, but it does help bring closure to this very difficult chapter of my life. I made a promise to you. Today, I laid you to rest. I told you I love you. And someday, somehow, I will get you justice. Son, I love you as much today as I did today that you were born. Raising you was the honor of my life, and I'm very proud of you. Your Honor, these men have chose to lie and attack my son and his surviving family. They each have no remorse and do not deserve any leniency. This wasn't a case of mistaken identity or mistaken fact. They chose to target my son because they didn't want him in their community. They chose to treat him differently than other people who frequently visited their community. 
and when they couldn't sufficiently scare him or intimidate him, they killed him. My youngest son, he was born on Mother's Day of 1994. He had a smile so bright it lit up a room. He was a greedy baby that seemed like he was always searching for something to stick into his mouth. He was always a loving baby who seemed to never tire of hugs, cuddling, and kisses. He loved, he never hesitated to tell me, his sister Jasmine, and his brother Marcus that he loved us. And your honor, we loved him back. He was messy. He sometimes refused to wear socks or take good care of his good clothing. I wish he would have cut and cleaned his toenails before he went out for that jock that day. I guess he would have if he knew he would be murdered. My family is going to miss Ahmad. We're going to miss his jokes, his impersonations, his warm smile. <sighs> These men deserve the maximum sentence for their crimes. Ahmad never said a word to them. He never threatened them. He just wanted to be left alone. They were fully committed to their crimes. Let them be fully committed for the consequences. Your Honor, I'm standing here before you as the mother of Ahmad Aubrey, asking you to please give all three defendants who are responsible for the death of my son the maximum punishment in this court, which I do believe is life behind bars without the possible chance for parole. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Judge Walmsley next invites Prosecutor Donikowski to make her arguments in support of her sentencing recommendation. We are going to present those remarks virtually in their entirety with only light editing for concision and clarity. Any additional evidence in aggravation from the state? No more additional evidence from the state, Your Honor. Argument? Your Honor, the state is seeking life without the possibility of parole for the McMichaels based primarily on the evidence presented in this case. The state is not going to go through all of that evidence, just a few very important items. First off, there was a demonstrated pattern of vigilanteism by Greg and Travis McMichael. First off, we have our July 13th, 2019 911 call after both of them went with guns to confront a homeless man who was living under the bridge who they suspected 
must have been committing all of these crimes. Of course, all of these crimes included a lot of reports to 911 about suspicious persons, and as we heard from the witness stand and defense witnesses, a couple of unlocked cars with things stolen out of them by people outside the neighborhood. And then we have February 11th, 2020. Yes, Ahmad went inside of the open, unsecured construction site that particular day. But Travis McMichael went home, got his father, they both got their guns, and then they went back down to that construction site. We know that because we heard the 911 call. And he says, I'm sitting outside the construction site. He talks about seeing somebody inside with a flashlight. The horrible part is we know from Brooke Perez, who testified for the defendants, that her husband had gotten a call from Larry English. And he'd gone over there with his handgun. We also know that the two men went inside with their handguns. <clears throat> it's a miracle they didn't shoot each other. And no one had called the police. Travis is outside in the pickup truck, finally calling the police. He stays on for about four minutes, and then Officer Ash appears. That didn't teach anybody here a lesson at all. Brooke Perez was trying to tell them, no, my husband's over there with a gun. You know, be careful, go in there. But Greg McMichael took off, according to Travis's statement, down the street and went right into that house. So we've got July 2019, February 11th, 2020 not calling 911 first, not staying home, but wanting to seek out in a vigilante manner a confrontation with people that they suspect might be doing something that they themselves, up until January 1st of 2020, had not been the victim of. In all cases, they took firearms with them, did not stay home, did not allow the police to do their job, but instead as on February 11th, Greg McMichael went in and started searching the house himself. We all know how that could have turned out terribly for him, for anyone in there, and for Diego Perez. All the decisions they made that led up to the death of Ahmaud Arbery. There were so many opportunities to stop, to think. And here's the real problem. Greg McMichael was former law enforcement as they pointed out repeatedly. And Travis McMichael had served in the Coast Guard, as they pointed out repeatedly. So here we have some men who should have known better. Vigilanteism always goes wrong. You wait for the professionals to show up. The professionals who are in marked cars, the professionals who are in uniforms, the professionals who are gonna do it right because they have something to lose, the professionals with body cams. The professionals, such as Officer Rash, who just would have stopped Mr. Arbery and said, hey, I'm going to put you on the phone with Larry English so Larry English can tell you to please not to come back. And they should have known that. They had alternatives. They had choices. But instead, Travis McMichael, who stated he was putting his son Everett down for a nap, who stated that his father had all these medical and health problems, didn't say, no, Dad, I'm putting Everett down. No, Dad, you need to stay here. He grabbed his shotgun. 
which he stated was propped up in a corner in that house, to go with his father. And Greg McMichael was willing to get into that pickup truck and sit in a child seat to go chase after Mr. Arbery. Greg McMichael attempted to control the narrative from the get-go at the scene. His statements were all about how they were justified, how it was self-defense, how Mr. Arbery attacked his son. When the unknown man came up to Greg McMichael at the scene, because of course the police hadn't put Mr. McMichael anywhere, told him not to talk to anybody. He was running around the scene talking to everybody. And when talking to this unknown man who walked up to give him water, he basically said, no, this guy's an asshole. He is 20 feet from Mr. Arbery's body, referring to Mr. Arbery as an asshole. There's been no remorse shown and certainly no empathy from either man. Because empathy would have said, hey, how must this look to this person that we're chasing? Are we terrifying this person? Are we scaring them? No empathy for the trapped and terrified Ahmaud Arbery. There was thoughtlessness as to the consequences, thoughtlessness as to the alternatives. There was vigilantism. The state is going to guess that the defense will probably say that these men served their country, they served the community. Travis in the Coast Guard, Greg McMichael at the district attorney's office, but we all know it is not the 99 things you do right, not the 99 good deeds that you do. But when you take another person's life, it can't be undone. It can't be taken back. There is no do-over. It's final. And that means caution must prevail. Thoughtfulness, empathy, and insight must prevail, not vigilantism. With regard to Mr. Bryan, his actions speak for themselves. He contributed to the death of Ahmad Arbery in a significant way. The court is familiar with his actions. The court is familiar with his statements, with his level of cooperation with Agent Seacrest afterwards. And given his actions and statements in this case, the state is asking for a life with the possibility of parole sentence. And that would be on count three with 15 years consecutive on probation for Mr. Bryan. Thank you, Your Honor. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Join us on our next episode as we continue our examination of the sentencing hearing with the beginning of the defense lawyer's arguments for why Judge Walmsley should show mercy to their clients. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You can find more information about this trial at CrimeStory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, 
Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. <laughs>